This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Not many people quit their high-paying hedge fund job, only to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. And have quotes like this. From Bill Gates a few years later. He's a true pioneer, groundbreaking innovator. In 2004, Sal Khan was working at a hedge fund when his cousin needed help with her maths homework. So he just turned on his webcam and started filming some tutorials. I get hooked, I start tutoring her younger brothers. Word spreads in my family. More and more people started watching. And it quickly changed from a side hustle to Khan quitting his hedge fund job. And by 2009, this was four or five years after I started tutoring my cousins, there were about 100,000 folks who were using it on a monthly basis. Fast forward to today and Khan Academy's a global powerhouse with 100 million users across 190 countries. Their YouTube channel now boasting 8 million subscribers and a jaw-dropping 2 billion views. He's a Forbes cover star, Times 100 most influential people in the world, and has had a 60 Minutes documentary made about him. I've never had to do so much research for an interview. It was great to meet Saul Khan at the Tony Blair Future of Britain conference. Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thanks for having me. So you set up the Khan Academy, which is an incredible story, but a few of our British listeners may not be aware of it. Why don't you tell us in your own words what it's all about? So uh, rewind back to 2004. Uh, my original background was in technology, but I now found myself, I was an analyst at a hedge fund. Yeah. And my cousin Nadia uh, was visiting me in Boston for my wedding. And it just came out of conversation. She was having trouble with math. She was 12 years old at the time. Mm. So I offered to tutor her remotely. She lived in New Orleans, which is where I was born and raised. She goes back. I tutor her every day after school for her, after work for me. Slowly but surely, she gets caught up with her class, a little ahead of her class. I get hooked. I start tutoring her younger brothers. Word spreads in my family that free tutoring is going on. Before I know it, 10, 15 cousins, family, friends, I'm tutoring every day after work. Uh, and I saw a common pattern that they were trying hard. They had good teachers, but they had gaps in their knowledge. Yeah. And it was pretty obvious why these gaps were forming. And it's a byproduct of a typical uh, education system where you take a test. Let's say you get a 80% on that test. Let's say it's on exponents. You didn't know 20%. The class moves on to the next concept. Usually something that's going to build on that, that gap might be logarithms now, might be exponential equations. Mm. And somehow you're supposed to master these concepts, even though you didn't master the more, uh, more foundational ones. And so that happens, kids accumulate gaps, and then eventually they hit walls, usually in an algebra class or a trigonometry class or a calculus class. That was happening to my cousin. So I started writing software for them, and I called it Khan Academy. <laughs> it was just for my 10, 15 cousins at the time. 
uh, where I was giving them practice problems. It was generating it for them. I was able to keep track as their tutor, what they were working on, what they were struggling with. If they were getting things, it was advancing them. If they were struggling, it was moving them back a little bit. And a friend suggested that I make YouTube videos to supplement that software. I initially thought it was a horrible idea. I said, YouTube is for cats playing piano, not serious math. Uh, but I, I gave it a shot. And uh, my cousins famously told me they like me better on YouTube than in person. Took that as positive feedback. Uh, other people started watching it. And by 2009, this was four or five years after I started tutoring my cousins, there were about 100,000 folks who were using it on a monthly basis. Wow. And so that's when I, frankly, was having trouble focusing on my day job. I set it up as a not-for-profit, a mission-free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. Uh, and I took the plunge to see if we could get philanthropic support. It was a hard year, but by 2010, we had um, our first philanthropic support. And you fast forward to now, there's uh, over 160 million registered users in pretty much every country in the world and over 50 languages. Uh, we're known for math, the math practice and the videos, but uh, we are equally deep in the sciences, all the way from pre-K to the core of college. And uh, we're adding humanities and language arts pretty quickly right now. Oh, right. That's exciting. And so one of the things is, is sort of going through that. It's often talked about in Clash, show your workings, right? Like this is one of the things that you have also demonstrated with your latest advancements and sort of using chat GPT format that everyone will be familiar with, but actually going through and going through the kids' workings, right? And that's the kind of like key differentiator. So everyone can have a personalized tutor. Yeah. You know, it goes back to the start of Khan Academy where I was able to tutor Nadia and it seemed to be working for, with her. But then how do you scale that? Even when I was scaling to 10, 15 cousins, I by myself was having trouble. That's why I was making videos for them. That's why I was writing software. But videos and software, pre-generative AI, were only going to approximate certain aspects of what a tutor could do. There's always been a dream that one day there would be some level of artificial intelligence that could really approximate what a great tutor would do. I didn't think it was going to happen for many more decades. I didn't even think it was going to happen maybe in my lifetime. Then last year, OpenAI reaches out to us. This is about, yeah, almost exactly a year ago. And I was skeptical. I had seen GPT-2 and GPT-3. It was impressive, but I didn't think it could act in a really thoughtful way. Yeah. Uh, but then they showed us GPT-4. And this was well before the world knew about ChatGPT. ChatGPT is built on a previous generation. It's mm -hmm. built on GPT-3.5. So we saw GPT-4 and we started playing with it. And we immediately saw that it could, not only could it, answer questions, but it could do it in a thoughtful Socratic way where it's not giving the answer, but it could do what a good tutor would, a good tutor would do. So if you ask it a question say, well, how would you approach the problem? Have you thought about this? Here's a hint. And so we started working pretty intensely on it. We were under a non-disclosure agreement with OpenAI until uh, March of this past year, but we launched what we call Conmigo and it does exactly that. It can act as a tutor. It can act as a teaching assistant. I can even do certain things that, that very few tutors are willing to do where it can simulate a historical character. It can act as a, a literary character. Students can get into debates with the AI. It can act as a writing coach. A lot of the narrative around ChatGPT is kids cheating. This is the opposite. It'll help, but not cheat. And it actually will report to the teacher if the student's trying to cheat. There is a great example in the TED talk that you did, which I encourage people to watch, available on YouTube from uh, a couple of months ago, of a child who's reading The Great Gatsby and is slightly confused by one of the sort of minor storylines in it about looking for the green line. And there's this amazing bit in the video 
where you demonstrate them having a conversation, explaining this, and it just opens up a whole new element of the story for her. How, here's a question that I thought when I was watching your video is like, how can you make sure that, you know, spoilers don't happen and things aren't given away too much? The, the main, well, well, the story, I mean, it would blew my mind. This was a young girl in India who attends an online high school that I helped start uh, with Arizona State University and she's on scholarship. And um, the, the, the assignment was to not only read The Great Gatsby, but she had to answer questions about it on video. That's one of the things we make the students do. And it's, it's well studied why he looks at the green light, but she didn't find those literary analyses that interesting. So she realized that she had access to Conmigo so she says, I'm going to talk because I talked to Jay Gatsby. And so the AI takes on the Jay Gatsby persona. She asks him about the green light, how it symbolizes the things that he can't attain. And it's the, the light on Daisy Buchanan's dock, et cetera, et cetera. And she has a whole one hour conversation with him about that and life. And then she apologizes to him at the end for taking up his time, which just tells you how immersive it is. So to your point on the plus side, it's an amazing hook. It, it, it can immerse you into literature or science in ways that would have seemed science fiction uh, even a few years ago. In theory, there could be spoilers, but we've tried to put as many guardrails in place where it's not, it's not just giving the answers. Yeah. It's not just cheating for the student and hopefully more, more likely than not, it's motivating. And all of the activity is transparent to the teacher and the parents. So if students are doing something shady, the teachers know, and there, we have a second artificial intelligence that's monitoring the conversations. And if it, the conversation goes anywhere negative, like really negative, then it's going to actively notify the teachers. And another great example that was in the video was sort of a child wanting to write a horror story and almost then the prompts being turned around so that it ends up being the AI that's giving the prompts, like in terms of, you know, naming a castle and, and just, you know, getting them on their way, right? Which is so often the hardest thing. And then it like alternates between the two, right? Yeah, it, you know, it's an activity that we just experimented with and it seemed to really resonate. Obviously, a lot of the narrative around chat GPT is kids are going to use it to cheat, write their essays for them. And we we started playing around with, well, what if it does the opposite? What if it actually helps students to write better? And so the activity that you're referring to, and my eight-year-old, he is not a reader. He does not like to write. He's addicted to this. And it's really powerful because, yes, he wants to write a story with the AI. The AI, to your point, will say, well, what do you want to write about? And my son or any kid could say, well, I want to write a horror story. I want to write an adventure story. And the AI will say, ooh, how exciting. <laughs> and then, and let's get into it. And the, the student will write a couple of sentences. The AI will give the student feedback on it. And then the AI, they're, they're riffing together almost as like co-authors. And I can tell you from, we're, we've been piloting this in schools, but I can even tell you in my own house, the same, you know, boy who did not like reading or writing now loves doing this. And the things that they are producing in many cases are above his grade level, even though he's helping produce it. So he's also more engaged to read uh, this content. And that's just one example for older students who are creating modalities where they can brainstorm with the AI, they can outline AI can give them feedback on their logic, on their rhetoric, on, on things like that. Uh, once again, help them become better writers, not do the writing for them. You know, I'm someone, I read a lot of science fiction. So I'm usually someone I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about 10 years. I'm in the world now where even 10 months is, 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 is really, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you 10 months, which I, I would have thought what, what I'm about to say about 10 months, I would have thought last year would have been science fiction for 10 years. Right. So in 10 months, you're going to be able to have a conversation with the artificial intelligence, the way that you and I are having a conversation. 
I think you're going to start seeing prototypes in 10 months where you're going to be able to have a Zoom or a video conference with AI. I think within two or three years, that's going to be mainstream. Uh, we are, as we speak, adding a sense of memory to the artificial intelligence. Today, if you have a conversation, you come and you say, why do I need to learn this? The AI will say, well, what do you care about? And you answer it. If you had that same interaction the next day, it'll ask you again, yeah. well, what do you care about? Now it's going to remember that. It's going to remember previous conversations. If you were asking help with chemistry, and then the next day, it's a similar concept in physics, it'll be able to say, hey, we, we talked about something pretty similar yesterday. Here's, or if you're a teacher and you're using it to help you develop lesson plans, it won't ask you every time, what grades do you teach? Or, you know, what are your students like? It'll remember those things. Uh, so you're going to have memory. It's going to have, be able to have long lasting, for lack of a better word, relationship or engagement uh, with learners. Um, it's going to be able to report back to parents and teachers. In fact, we've already started implementing this. So as a parent or teacher, you can talk to the AI the same way you would talk to a tutor that you hired. What have you been working on with my kids? Yes. And the tutor, the AI is, this isn't science fiction. We've actually already built this. It will tell you, well, we did a little bit of calculus tutoring and then it wanted me to be the great Gatsby. So you know, I'm Jay Gatsby and we had a great conversation about life. And by the way, did you realize that she really wants to become an investment banker? And when you talk about money, she really gets engaged. Um, and she's surprisingly strong in history. I didn't, you know, and the AI is actually going to be surf already. This isn't science fiction is going to surface these insights to the teachers and the parents. What do you think are the most important skills of the future? It's interesting. In a lot of ways, it's the skills of the past, but I think you're just going to have to be even better at them. So you're reading, writing, arithmetic. They've always been the, the three R's, so to speak. But the, the, if you're, if you're only a average writer or mediocre writer, we already know that generative AI can outperform you. If you're an average coder, if you're an average critical thinker, generative AI is going to be able to outperform you. So you have a choice. You either don't go into the knowledge economy, which is going to be trouble, or you say, no, I'm going to be in a role where I can manage AI, where I can use this to get even more productive. But no one's going to want to hire an editor of a paper who can't write at least as well as the writers. No one's going to want to hire a chief technology officer who can't code as well as the junior engineers. So if you want to use these tools, if you want to manage these tools, you have to be a, a pretty strong coder. You have to be a pretty strong writer. And so I think those who are able to elevate to those levels and leverage these tools, they're going to be 10 times more productive than they've ever been. But I do worry about students who aren't going to be able to make that leap. The good news is, is that the tools also exist to help, hopefully help more people get to that point. What do you think if you were 23 in 2023, you would be looking to build your career in now? You started off in hedge funds. I started in tech back in the late nineties and then a business school, I ended up at hedge funds. What I tell every 22, 23 year old right now, I don't know exactly what the world's going to be like in five or 10 years, but what I've said is. Start playing with generative AI right now. Make your, make a generative AI bot as a proxy for your resume. So you should make a traditional resume because mm -hmm. people are going to traditional CV, but then create a link so that people could interview a generative AI version of yourself that can represent you. If you do that, you will get an interview at pretty much any, any job. And it's, it's actually not that hard to do. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've advised some young people doing that. Well, how, how, how do you do that then? Like what, what's, what tools? So if you're just using a standard generative, let's say you're using GPT-4, which yeah. is the, the state of the art right now, you can, you can give it a prompt and these prompts, 
it's essentially a set of descriptions of what you want the AI to be. So you can literally tell the AI, I want you to be me. My name is Sal Khan. Here's a copy of my resume. Uh, can you ask me some questions that a typical employer might ask? And they'll start asking you those questions. You know, what is your biggest strength? What is your biggest weakness? Why did you leave that job? Why is there a gap in your resume there? Why did you switch careers? You answer it. And then you essentially save that entire transcript as the prompt for an AI that other people can interact with. And so then you tell that you say, okay, people are going to interview you as if you are Sal, you are going to be a simulated Sal. Here is a conversation. Here's the resume. And here's a conversation of, of me answering typical questions. I want you to represent me. And then when people interact with the AI, the prompting occurs in the background and the AI could literally the same way on Conmigo, it can simulate the Jay Gatsby or could simulate Eeyore the donkey. It'll be able to simulate you. And so an, a, a, an employer, first of all, people are going to want to talk to your, your AI simulation just for kicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the next year or two is going to be so novel that people are going to do that. And it's a highly scalable way of, uh, of, of getting your, yourself out there. So sweet. It's. It's slightly mind blowing. I'm thinking it is but, mind blowing, uh, but it's 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 literally doable right now. So, what brings you um, to the UK? What brings you here? Two two things. You know, I was speaking in Switzerland a couple of months ago, and um, some folks from Tony Blair's team were in the conference, and I was talking about this, and they're like, "Look, we have this Future of Britain conference. You have to come and yeah, present." Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of ten hour plane rides." <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I'm happy to do it. And, and, uh, you know, my, my ulterior motive is we actually do want to expand Khan Academy in the UK. We already have a lot of users in the UK. Obviously it already exists in English. It exists in 50 plus languages, but I would like to create a, a you know, we're non for profit. I'd like to create a real on the ground effort here. So I'm going to be meeting philanthropists, corporations uh, out here so that we can create a version of Khan Academy that's aligned to the standards in the UK and uh, can, can help hopefully millions of kids here. That's very exciting. Well, what are your overall impressions of the, of the UK? I, I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I like it. You know, my wife and I, we, 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 we left the kids at home. We're, we've turned this into a little, it was our 19th anniversary a couple of weeks ago. So this is our, our, our anniversary trip to some degree when, we're, when I'm not in meetings talking about, you know, raising, <laughs> raising money for a not-for-profit. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, you know, London is a, is a great town and it, it's, it feels very, uh, yeah, super walkable, super safe. Uh, the people, it's obviously very cosmopolitan. We, it, you know, I've, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time here, but it feels like home in a certain way. Certainly. And what do you think as a final question, the future of the classroom and the future of education is? I think the future of education, and I would have said the same answer even last year, even pre-generative AI is personalization. If you go back 2000, I guess, 2300 years, I, I'm using a specific point. If you were Alexander the Great, you got a great education. You had Aristotle as your personal tutor. And I'm sure if young Alexander was having difficulty in say military strategy, Aristotle would slow down a little bit. Yeah. Or if young Alexander really were able to pick up accounting really fast, Aristotle would speed up a little bit. So you got that personalization and the few people who got education for most of human history probably got a pretty good one because of personal tutoring. Two, 300 years ago, very utopian idea, mass public education and places like the UK, the US, Germany, Japan, these were some of the first places to do it. And it really helped industrialize and build a broad middle class, but they had to make compromises. They bat students together in groups of 30, move them together at a set pace, 
give them lectures, give them assessment. Some kids are doing great. They can become the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers. Some kids are struggling. They can go work at the factory. That kind of worked for the industrial revolution, but it doesn't work if we're trying to get people into the knowledge economy. And uh, now, luckily, we also have the tools where we don't have to make that compromise anymore, where we might have a shot using pre-generative AI tools and now also the generative AI tools of getting every student uh, something a little bit closer or a lot closer to what young, young Alexander had with Aristotle. I mean, we can now even have students literally talk to Aristotle. Yeah, so yeah. what's better than that? That is an amazing answer. I like how I asked about the future. And you started by saying, I just want to go back to 2,300 years to start with. <laughs> but that is like, in the future, we'll all have our own personal Aristotle. It's a pretty, um, pretty amazing way to think about it. How do you think AI could impact artists? Because I read in your biography that you were a cartoonist very early on in life. Very early on. <laughs> I was the cartoonist at my high school newspaper. I was the art editor. But yeah, I, I, I do... Uh, I like to fiddle in, in, the, in the arts now, even today. It's fascinating. Uh, the, the best I could get my head around it is we just view it as another tool that is going to allow people hopefully to express themselves more. Uh, you know, historically, in order to, to paint or sculpt or do anything, uh, you had to have a lot of technical skills before you could even begin to express yourself. Uh, and the whole history of technology, obviously a photographer, you know, the whole impressionist movement existed almost in reaction to photography, where if you go back 500 years, photography, um, uh, painting was, was a lot like engineering because you were actually trying to capture the light and you're trying to capture, then cameras come out in, you know, the 19th century and people are like, well, I guess technology can do that. Well, art is going to be something different. We have to express ourselves in ways that the, that the, that a camera can't capture. I think now generative AI has taken it to another level where you can ask it to produce a picture. You can ask it to produce a movie. You can ask it to produce a pop song. And you know, there's examples of it producing pop songs in the style of, of, of other folks. It's troubling to us at first. I'm sure in many of the same ways that a, ca a camera was troubling to Renaissance artists. That's <laughs> like, wait, that can, that can paint better, can do a much better portrait than I can do. Um, but, but I think you're going to see some similar things. Artists are going to start using this to elevate and do more ambitious things. And you're going to have a world where, look, today, the difference between a good movie and a bad movie isn't, isn't usually the cinematography. It's usually just the director, or the producer, or the writer in a world. Storyline. Storyline. And so in a world where in five years, a 13-year-old could produce a Lord of the Rings quality movie on their own for thousands of dollars versus hundreds of millions of dollars, you're going to have more content out there. A lot of it's going to be pretty bad, but some of it is going to be really excellent. So I think you're going to have just a, like a Cambrian explosion of, of art and, and creativity. And you're going to start same way that with YouTube and I'm one of them, we were able to discover people yeah. that before there were all these gates, gatekeepers. Now the gatekeeping of having access to money and in some cases, technical skills, isn't going to be a gate anymore. Yes. Uh, well, it's amazing how you used YouTube early on as a pioneer. I'm very jealous to look at your 7 million followers. Um, you know, we are currently, I'll be pleased when we get 7,000, but we're trying, we're trying, right? Um, so thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.